So last week, you know, I was, I was going through, I've been reading through Genesis again. Uh, I went back and just started over reading the Old Testament. Uh, so I, I don't be surprised that we begin to go through a lot of Old Testament stories uh, in our meetings. Um, Genesis is, is actually one of my favorite books. And last week we talked about Jacob. You remember that? Um, we... Who, who remembers what Jacob's ma- name meant? Heel grabber. Heel grabber, deceiver, yeah. So um, what we talked about last week was uh, he, Jacob had to pass through the ford of Jabbok. Uh, the ford, ford, the word ford means passageway, right? Uh, I remember what Jabbok meant? Emptying. Emptying. He had to go through the passage of emptying, right? Uh, and we know the story then, he goes on, he sends all of his family forward and all of his possessions and everybody else because his brother was coming out after him. He was afraid that he was gonna die because he, he deceived his brother one too many times. And uh, he found himself wrestling with God. And in his wrestling, he said to God, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And how did God bless him? changed his name from Jacob to Israel, the namesake of the country and the people known as Israel today came from Jacob. Israel means, anybody remember? Yes, and prevailed. So it literally means, yes, God prevails. So he wrestled with God and prevailed. Okay, so it's the, it was the process of working stuff out with God and getting in line with God. So he moved, so the people Israel have wrestled with God. They have, they have gotten in line uh, with God and his plans and his purposes. And so, um, and so they, uh, he, he goes through this and he changes his name and his nature from that point on begins to shift. And you see a new Jacob. You don't hear as many details because it starts shifting down to uh, his his uh, sons and uh, you know the story continues on but his nature has changed right so um, a little uh, I want to start adding a, a little extra context of of, jo- of, um, of Jacob so Jacob had uh, along the way he had four wives. So I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory to lead us up to what we're going to be talking about today. Jo- Joseph ended up, ha- or excuse me, Jacob ended up having four wives. Now he went uh, to to he wanted Rachel. Rachel was the one that he really wanted. But then his uncle Laban tricked him and gave him Leah, and then Rachel. Um, but then uh, because because of situations with Rachel not being able to give birth, Rachel took a slave, uh, her slave Billa, and gave her to, to Jacob to be a wife that he could ha- she could have sons and daughters through her. And then Leah ended up doing the same thing with her slave Zilpah. So in essence, J- Jacob had four wives. And between all four of them, he had 12 sons. So from Leah, 
He had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Rachel's sons were Joseph and Benjamin. Rachel's slave Billah was Dan and Naphtali. And Leah's slave Zilpah was Gad and Asher. So totaling 12 sons, all right? Out of these sons would come the 12 tribes of Israel, all right? So it's important context if you're studying the Old Testament to know, you know, when it talks about these different tribes, where they came from. So out of them would be the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, for the Bible scholars in the room, though, however, you may notice that, I know, uh, that Levi and Joseph are not listed among the 12 tribes of Israel. I don't know if you've ever gone through the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, but two of the sons, two of, of Jacob's sons, aren't there. They're not listed. It's Levi and Joseph are missing. And here's why. So for Levi, and of course Levi was one of Leah's sons, the third one. Levi, his descendants would become the priests who would serve among the 12 tribes, right? They are what's referred to as the Levitical priesthood. So this group of people that came from Levi were the priests serving in Israel, and they were given no portion of land. That's why the, the priests, the Levites, the, that would serve in the temple, when the offerings would come, they, the, the leftover portions of, of the meat, they kept because they didn't have a, a lot meant to themselves. So the 12 tribes supported them through their offerings. The book of Leviticus, if you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Bible, right, was named because it describes the Levitical law and the priests, uh, that the priests would enforce and carry out among the people. All right, so that's about Levi. That's what they all became. And then as for Joseph, Joseph is not listed. Now we know that Joseph, we're going to review this today, Joseph ended up being the second highest ruler in Egypt. He was second only to, he was the next in line only to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the only one that outranked him. And we're going to talk about that. He was in there and he ended up saving, because there was a massive famine, he ended up saving his father and his brothers. Uh, and of course, you might be familiar with that story. And they stayed there. Eventually, those all of the tribes grew to a massive amount of people, but then they became enslaved by the Egyptians, and they were 400 years in slavery. And then we catch up to the point where Moses, God called Moses to go in, set my people free, the plagues, the Passover, all that stuff. They come out, they cross the Red Sea, right? They wander in the desert for four years, and the rest of the story continues, right? Well, Joseph, Joseph is not named among the 12 tribes of Israel, but his two sons are. So he had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And those two sons would establish these two tribes. Manasseh became so large, in fact, that they had to actually split their land into two areas. So they were referred to as the two half-tribes of Manasseh. 
So if you look at the land areas that were given, there's actually 13 land areas because Manasseh was so big, they split it in two different regions. But it was one singular tribe. And both so, Ephraim and Manasseh were uh, founders of the, or, or two heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they're actually the sons of Joseph, who was the deliverer to them all. Okay? So, a little bit of background. It's good to know these things, because as you're reading scripture and you understand about this and that, right, uh, you can begin to start locking things together and seeing how all things are interconnected. But anyway, Joseph is the topic today. So, Joseph, um, Joseph was... I think it's an important or fitting continuation from last week's discussion because Jacob Jacob demonstrates for us the transformation that we must go through to carry out God's will, right? This is where Jacob had to be emptied of his old nature and he was given a new name and a new nature. So the, the story of Jacob is a picture of salvation. We have to come and wrestle with God and God prevails, God prevails. And then he changes our name and he changes our nature. It's a beautiful picture of salvation. But in Joseph's case, so Joseph, the son of Jacob, now Israel, this is more of a picture of the preparation that we must now go through in carrying out God's will. So the, the picture, of, again, the picture of Jacob is about a transformation and salvation. But now that we've become saved and in God's family, which is a picture more of Joseph, Joseph had to be prepared to fulfill the things that he needed to fulfill. Right? So a lot of, and I, I think it's important context for us to understand that, that when you first get saved, you receive the same Holy Spirit that a sister or a brother who has been walking with the Lord for 40 years has. Right? There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a junior Jesus that you get. Right? You get full access to all of God and all of the resources of heaven, whether you've been walking with Him for one day, one month, one year, or 50 years. It's the same full resources of heaven. However, that does not mean that the one per that, that the, the new young believer who's been walking with God for a day, a week, a month, or a year has the same maturity and has gone through the preparation processes as the one who might have been walking with them for an extended period of time. There is a growing up process in the Lord, just like uh, an infant, that an infant is born, has the breath of life in that child the same as an adult. It has all of the functions of the organs the same as an adult. It has all that is necessary for life the same as an adult, but the infant is not mature. The infant needs prepared, needs to grow, it needs to learn, it needs to develop to be able to do the same things an adult is able to do. And it's no different in the kingdom, right? So I want us to understand that context. So as we talk about, go, go from moving from Jacob 
now to talking about Joseph. Keep that, that little connection in mind. But this is really about preparation. All right, so that's, this is where we're going to pick it up then. Genesis 37. So turn your Bibles, Genesis 37. And I need uh, someone with good vocal cords to read verse 1 through 11. Can someone read Genesis 37, 1 through 11? Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brother. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilhah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than more than his other sons because Joseph was born to him in his old age and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw their fathers loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peace, peaceably about him. When Joseph had a dream, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. This, there, there we were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly the sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheep. Are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he, then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is that you have? He said, Am I... Eh, Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, perfect, thank you. All right, uh, so we have this interesting picture, all right? Uh, and we clearly know some things right away that Jacob is, uh, we know what age he is. And uh, the Bible doesn't always share ages, especially for the young, but it specifically says he's 17 years old. I think that's important uh, for us to understand. So again, a little bit of background. Joseph is the second youngest of all the sons. Benjamin is actually younger than he is. But Benjamin, and we don't know how far apart they were in age, but we can surmise that he was a fair bit younger. So he was more of a child child, right? Here we have Joseph, uh, a young man, right? In that culture, he would have been considered a man, but clearly a very young one. Uh, and so you've got Jacob, now Israel, named Israel, in his old age, interacting with this fine young man. So you can kind of see if you understand relationships between fathers and sons or grandfathers, and he could be more of like a grandfather age at this point, Jacob, right? And this young son of his, right, because he had him late in life, 
he he just he just saw sort of loved this guy. And I think it was actually not just that, but more than that, which the scripture indicates. There's a little bit more. I think there's some prophetic things happening here in how Jacob was seeing Joseph. He I I I believe based on um based on two things, that he gave him a coat of many colors, which we're going to get into. There was a significance in that. And also, after he told these, these dreams, the very last thing that, that was read there, he says, um, the brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here we have a new transformed Jacob, now Israel. He's seeing things much more clearly than he had before after, after his wrestling with God. There were some prophetic things I believe happening here, and he knew that there was something very special about this one son, Joseph. Okay, so that's a little bit of background. Open it up here. What are you seeing? What jumps out in this passage that's interesting to you? You can tell he's 17 because he has a boldness to like out, you know, get out of rank of his brothers and like, you know, be bold and say, hey, listen, I had these dreams. And then after the first dream that he told him it didn't go well, in another dream, he was just as bold after they already responded negative, like even more negatively to them. Like it's a 17 year old male thing that they're, he's just like, well, guess what guys, I had another one. Um, and they had like the same response. like. They hated him even more, but he's, he was just bold in it. And that's like typical of a... Sure sign of immaturity, right? <laughs> yeah. Very, very um, sophomoric, right? Sophomore means wise fool. You have a little bit of knowledge, but you don't have enough knowledge to actually be wise and know what you're talking about. Having, having raised two boys that are now past 17 years old, I realized that all boys are like this. I was the same way. And there's something about that age, 16, 17, and I don't think it's, it's just guys. I think it's girls too, right? Maybe at different ages. But there's that boldness that comes out when you say something and it's not well received by the parents. They dig in and do it again and say it again, right? And we get so upset, like as the dad. I was so upset. Like, who do you think you are? You think you know all this stuff, right? Uh, but yeah, clearly there was a, an immaturity in him, okay? Uh, but isn't it interesting though, even though there was an immaturity in him, he was having prophetic dreams. With confidence. With confidence. So what does that tell us? There's no age to Holy Spirit who he can use and who he's like, and everybody has a gift and like, right. yeah. We all get, again, there's no junior Holy Spirit. We're giving everything. So a young believer, which I believe he kind of represents in this, in the way that we're looking at it, here's lots of applications to this scripture, but I, this is what I really was feeling like the Lord was showing me about this, was that he, he, he represents kind of like the young believer, right? Like I got the gifts, but I don't really know how to use them the proper way. Now we've talked a lot about that before. The gifts, it, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So a young believer, you can have a gift and it could be legitimate and real and authentic, but 
right? Like you got the sword in your hand, but a young, a young kid with a sword becomes dangerous, can be dangerous. But, this, but it's no less the sword of the spirit, right, in their hand. So there needs to be a growing and a maturing. It, also, it shows that God moves, and he's, he's moving in this, even in the immaturity, but clearly. Now, now what do we know with the indication? What can, we, what, what can we draw from this, from the indication of how the brothers especially responded to him? What can using your gift immature in an immature way do? causes other people to stumble. Yes. People get it people get uh, can get hurt. See, here's the thing about Joseph in these dreams. He received these dreams, but I don't see anywhere where God said share them with anybody. He had a dream and he I don't see God saying let everybody know. The Bible doesn't say that. He voluntarily shared this. Now, some dreams, and just an aside, by the way, this is the really kind of the first, it's the, the first time in Scripture where dreams and dream interpretation, because this, this is a recurring theme with Joseph. He has dreams, and he also has the ability to interpret dreams, right, through, this, through the Lord. And in that, dreams are, can be very powerful, right? But I, I think that we have to be careful with dreams. And I, my view on dreams and dream interpretation is always approach it from a very healthy skepticism. Okay? Why? Why do I say that? Because you know how your mind works. You can have something happened or you had something, you thought about somebody in the day briefly and you had this thought and then you don't think about them the whole rest of the day and then you at night have a dream about that person. Do you ever notice that? Like your mind subconsciously just continues to roll that around and you can be thinking things. And come on, look at dreams. Dreams are, can be really, really weird. A lot of times they're just mind garbage. So don't try. Don't try to go and make meaning out of all your dreams. All of your dreams do not have meaning. It could just be bad, you know, the pizza that you had the night before. It could be if you have an overactive active mind. You're under a lot of pressure and anxiety, all of those kinds of things uh, can really affect your dream life, okay? So not every dream has an interpretation. Please, please, please be careful about dreams. But I do believe that when God speaks in your dreams, you know, you, you, you have an idea that there's something different about this one. It leaves you with an impression in a sense, but Still be skeptical. I've seen many so-called prophetic preachers, ministers, seasoned, have dreams where the world was going to blow up in the next 30 days. And then 30 days later, nothing happened. But boy, they were convinced from this dream that they had. Right? This just happened two, two years ago. There was one, this guy, it blew up the internet. Everybody was talking about his dreams and they were vivid and they were believable and everything and they were all completely wrong. So be careful about dreams and dream interpretation. Now, I've had dreams that I can count about four times in my life. I knew it was God. I knew it was God. The other ones, there were others where I think it was God, but I'm not 100% sure. 
But there's four times I knew it was God. And the first time it ever happened is he spoke to me and he revealed, uh, a, he revealed an issue in my life. And he used the dream, this illustration of his dream, to demonstrate with me exact, to me exactly what I was dealing with. And then there was a couple of times since then. And other people have more dreams and a lot of, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you're only limited to four in your life. I mean, some people can have dreams, prophetic dreams all the time, right? But if you feel like you're having them all the time, you need to be even be more careful about scrutinizing them in a healthy way, in a healthy way. How do you know it's God telling you to do something and not your mind like focusing on a problem that you have in your life? That's a great question. So how do you know if God is speaking to you through a dream or otherwise, I would imagine, yeah. in an outcome, if you don't, you know, how do you know it's not you, just you and yeah. your own active mind? Um, the best, best way, first thing, is you got to know the Word of God. Okay. All right? Because where I see a lot of people say, when they say, oh, God told me, fill in the blank, right? God told me this and such. And they're confident about that. And I say, yeah, but the Bible doesn't agree with that decision. You're actually doing something counter to what the Bible teaches and the, uh, counter to the nature of God. And they're like, oh, but it was God. And I'm just like, no, it wasn't. Because God does never, he never contradicts himself. He never goes against his word, ever. If you ever see a time where it's going against God's word, you know it's you and it's, not him, all right? And you say, well, gee, I don't know enough of the word. That's why we have spiritual mentors and pastoral oversight, all right? You've got people that have been seasoned walking with the Lord and understand the Lord. They can help to counsel you and guide you, right? Um, some other things is, I don't know if it's God or if it's, if it's just me. What's the fruit of it, right? Is it bringing you glory? Is it bringing you um, only? It's not glorifying God, right? Um, God will not do anything that doesn't bring him glory in some way, right? And what I mean by that is that he'll still like bless you, like, you know, take this job, not that job, mm -hmm. right? Because, in, in, and it could be to really bless you, but it's also to set you up to do the next thing you need to do that brings him, him glory and and builds his kingdom. But that can be hard to discern because we don't see that far in advance. So it's a good thing to go, again, talk to your mentors, talk to your spiritual oversight, talk to your pastors, stuff like that, to help to guide you along the way. And then just stay in the presence of God, stay in church, stay in prayer, stay in the word, stay, and God will begin to teach you. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the teacher. So over time, you'll begin to understand what is his voice and what it what is it, right? Okay. So there's a couple of things there, right? And there's more, but that's what I wanted to quickly share with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. You get it. Of course you do. All right. Dreams. So he's having these dreams, and God's giving him these dreams, and the dreams that we know, because we can read, read you know, the next chapters over, the dreams were accurate. They were accurate. They were exactly from God but he was using them in an unwise way, right? He was using them in a way that, that was causing harm in his family, right? And you also have to remember, Jacob is still dealing with his past sins, his past issues, the Jacob part of his life, not the Israel part of his life. He had sons across four different wives, and two of them were slaves. Can you imagine what that would do 
among the statuses of these 12 sons, some of the arguing and the contention among them, right? So Joseph comes in here and says, oh, you're all going to bow down with me. I mean, it was just like, it, it, it just like this was already a turbulent family, right? And he also had a reputation. I like this one uh, in verse, uh, I guess it's, yeah, verse two, the end of verse two. He said he, uh, he was working with the sons of Billa and, Z and Zip Zilpah, right? Those were the two slave moms. The sons, so there's four sons. I won't go through them. And he, they were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. And he went back and he told on them to dad. All right. So he, he was telling on the slave sons. So you can see it gives us an indication that there's turmoil. All right. Okay. Now, let's go back to the coat, the robe, the coat of many colors. Any thoughts on that? Anything jump out about that? We lightly touched on it. The coat of many colors is interesting because the Hebrew word, it actually means, um, the, the Hebrew word for uh, that was interpreted of many colors actually means long-sleeved. So what we know about this is that the coat of many colors was a garment, a tunic, right? A robe of some sort that would come down to the wrists. It was a long sleeve and it would come down to, that's what the, is indicated by the Hebrew word, and it would come down to the ankles, low to the ground. Now, normal tunics, for especially, particularly among laborers, and these guys were laborers, they were tending flocks, okay? They would have short sleeve tunics. And short, and they would have tunics that would only maybe go down to the knees or just a little bit lower. It wouldn't go all the way to the ground. You would never want that. Drug, you know, through the mud, you're getting it caught, you're dealing, you're picking up goats and pulling them, right? You would get all that would get messy. Long sleeve tunics were only for people with authority. Now, where'd the coat of many colors come from? Technicolor dream coat, right? All right. Well, Typically, these long tunics that had authority, that represented authority, someone, uh, someone that uh, didn't work with their hands for a living, per se, um, they would probably have scarlet and gold and silver uh, colors woven into them, right? Because they're very fine, fine pieces of garment. So it wouldn't be just a plain you know, you get that kind of burlap sort of visual of a tunic, but that's not necessarily the case, right? They could be very, very ornate. So when it says the coat of, or the tunic of many colors, we're actually talking about something symbolic of royalty, something symbolic of one with authority. Now, what does that say about Jacob in giving it to him? There was something different about Joseph. There was something different. And I believe that it wasn't just he gave it to him, not just because he was his favorite kid. Joseph would have known the, the problems. Excuse me, Jacob would have known the problems that, it would, that would happen. 
the one that was should have received, the should have received the coat of many colors, was Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of all 12 of the kids. It, that would have been a symbol of his birthright. And to give it to the second youngest? No wonder they were upset. And then he goes off, he's telling on his brothers, and he's popping off his mouth about these dreams he's having. He's saying, guess what? All your sheaves are going to bow down to my one sheaf. And then all your stars, and by the way, this time the sun and the moon, which clearly represented Jacob and Rachel. Rachel was the mom of, uh, of Joseph, would also bow down. That was the second dream that he had. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay, let's, let's continue on here. So this is, a, is the beginning of Joseph discovering and exploring his gifts and callings. But he was young and he was immature. He caused problems for himself and others and he became offensive to others because he had no no humility or wisdom that we can we can draw from here god would have to now mature him over a period of 13 years to get him ready to fulfill the purpose that he had for him and to bring to pass the prophetic dreams that he gave him 13 years from this point to the time where he becomes uh, second to pharaoh in egypt all right, so what happens next? I'm going to summarize some things. So Jacob sent Joseph to check on his 10 older brothers. They're out tending the, the herds. When they saw him coming, they plotted a plan to kill him out of, out of jealousy, but decided instead they were going to sell him as a slave. Ironically, the slave traders, this is a little side point, ironically, the slave traders they sold him to were Ishmaelites, descendants of Jacob's grandfather Abraham and his unpromised son Ishmael from Hagar. Isn't that interesting? <coughs> so the bad decisions back with Abraham, all the way now we're two generations deep, Ishmaelites are selling Joseph into slavery, taking him at a price. Isn't that interesting? Already prophecy is being fulfilled. Already the Ishmaelites are biting at the heels of the Israelites. Uh, let me tell you, it doesn't take long for sin to propagate and bring results, bad results. They continue to grow and they fester. All right, so Joseph ended up in Egypt in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's guards, so it was a very high position. He excelled there and he was given authority in the house. What was the, the Technicolor dream code about? Authority. Joseph goes to Potiphar's house and he does such an amazing job for Potiphar that he put him over his entire household. The only person, the only two people that he didn't have authority over was Potiphar and his wife. He was over all, everyone else, all of the other slaves, all the other servants in the house. He controlled everything because here's the thing. Joseph was gifted. He was gifted. 
and whatever he was doing, he just got sold into slavery from his brothers. And he's like, well, I might as well make lemonade out of these lemons that I've been given. I'm going to make the best lemonade ever. And he continued on and he was good at what he did, right? And he was, he was excelling that. He was given favor until Potiphar's wife, that dirty, dirty, she took an eye to him, took a liking to him. And while Potiphar was away, wanted Joseph to sleep with him, with her. And uh, he refused. And then uh, he went running out, left his garment there. She like grabbed a hold of him and he pulled away and left the coat behind him. And then she made up this story. She screamed and made up the story and said that he tried to rape her. And so Potiphar came home, he found out about this and was furious and threw him into jail. So now he goes from being sold into slavery, going to Egypt, things get better because he's head of this household, falsely accused, now he's in jail. And jail is a whole lot worse than being a slave in somebody's house, especially somebody like Potiphar who would have had a lot of money in a nice house being captain of Pharaoh's guards. Now he's in jail. All of this is happening over, remember, over a period of 13 years. We turn the page and it's like boom, boom, boom. It's like fast, 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 13 years, long time. It takes a long time sometimes for God to mature us, to get us to the place where he wants us so that we can handle the thing that he's calling us to do. Just because you're saved, just because you've got the gifts of the spirit and everything in you, it doesn't mean that you have the maturity to do all that God is calling to do necessarily. There's a, there's a process that he takes us through and everybody has to go through it, everybody. Okay. So now he's in prison. What happens? He excels again and he's given great authority in the prison. This authority just keeps following him. And he's over the entire prison. He's given all this favor. Right? And so he's, he's doing well. He's excelling in the prison, which is kind of crazy to think about. You know, when, when God is giving us uh, and preparing us for assignments, he can take you through very difficult circumstances, but prosper you in it. We want to shrug this, this off. Most of us, and he probably had his down days, but he, you know, but most of us would just... God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? Or we'd be casting out the devil, saying the devil's doing this to me, when it was God all along preparing him. And we would fight against it. But what we see in Joseph is he didn't fight against it, he embraced it and he excelled in it. Do you see how he's growing? He's growing in his maturity. So one day, he's in this prison, and two of Pharaoh's staff get thrown into prison, his cupbearer and his head baker. So he gets mad at him for whatever reason. The Bible doesn't say he's, but he's, he gets mad at him, throws them both in prison. Get out of here, go to prison. And then one night, both of them had a dream and they were very similar dreams, but they had very different outcomes. And so they had these dreams and Joseph used his gift to interpret the, the dreams. Listen to what he says. Now, now that we're in Genesis 40, verse 8. Joseph, uh, it, it says this. We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. 
Then Joseph said to him, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now compare that to what we read before in Genesis 37 and 5 and 6. Then Joseph had a dream when he told his brothers they hated him even more and he said to them, listen to the dream that I had. Do you see the difference? The first one was like, hey, I had this dream. I had this dream. This time when dreams are involved, he says, don't interpretations belong to God? So immediately he doesn't put himself forward. He's putting God forward. And then he says, tell me your dreams. Do you see the progress? You see, you see how he, and there's one other stop along the way we're going to make that has to do with the same thing. And you're going to see even further. You see a maturing process, even how he talks about dreams. Okay. So there's a maturity difference beginning to happen here. So in three days' time, the dreams come true. The cupbearer was restored to his position and the baker was hanged. Exactly how Joseph interpreted the dreams. So cupbearer restored, he was good. The head bank, ba baker, whatever he did was bad. Evident, and Pharaoh had him put to death. Now, fast forward again. Eventually, Pharaoh has two dreams. He has two dreams. And he took his dreams and he went to all of his wise men and his magicians and they could not interpret the dream. And that's what we're going to pick up next. So turn to Genesis 41, 8. Genesis 41, 8. Can I get somebody to read Genesis 41, 8 through 16? Eight through sixty. Oh, go ahead. Yep, go ahead, Colin. Yep, go ahead. I'm sorry. At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile then Pharaoh woke up, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump full ones. Uh, then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Um, Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in custody of the captain of the guards. He and I dreamed on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew slave of the cupbearer, of the cup, wait a minute, of the captain of the guards, was with us there. He, uh, he told him our dreams, and he interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he had interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh the favorable answer. Okay. You stop there. All right. So, let's just summarize. Uh, basically goes through in detail We what you know I was summarizing before about the two dreams. So, Pharaoh gets this dream. Two dreams. Magicians don't know how to interpret it. Uh, wise men don't know how to interpret it. Cupbearer goes, oh yeah, I forgot. There was this Hebrew guy when you had when you were angry with me and the baker and there was this Hebrew. We had dreams and uh, this guy told us what the dreams were. And it happened. You restored me and you killed the, the baker. He goes, he can do it. He can interpret the dreams, right? Again, what is this all about? This is all about the preparation of Joseph to get him to where, to the maturity, the mature place that he needs to be in order to fulfill the purposes that God has him to fulfill. Genesis 41, 16 jumped out to me this time. Remember the first one? He says, hey guys, let me tell you the dreams I had. The second time he goes, doesn't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. The third time it comes up, what does he say? I am not able. I am not able to interpret dreams. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Do you see the progress? All about me, mostly about God, a little bit about me, all about God. Let me tell you, maturity in the faith takes you through circumstances that brings you to the place that you say, I must decrease and God must increase. It's all about him and nothing about me. I have nothing to do with it. I can take no responsibility. It's all him. It's a prerequisite to do the great things for God. It's that place. We have to be, remember, just like Jacob had to be emptied. In a way, this was Joseph's ford of Jebek. He needed to be emptied of himself so that God could take the proper place. See, the process of salvation, we get saved Right? When Jesus gloriously comes into our lives, forgives us of our sin, we repent, and the Spirit of God comes in, and we get saved, our spirit is saved, but our mind, will, and emotions is still a problem. And they are continuously saved. They're continuously being conformed to the likeness of God. They're continuously being laid down, right? They're continuously, it's the process of sanctification. That is a lifetime process to be emptied of ourselves, of who we are, mind, will, and emotions, and submitting those things to God. This is the process that we have to go through. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Working it out. 
This is the this is the process. There is no like, hey, I've been walking with God long, for a long time. I've arrived. You all need to listen to me now. If anybody comes with that, and I've seen a lot of Christians tell me how mature they are, and it immediately showed it immediately showed me that they were children in the faith. They might know a lot of Bible. They might have had a lot of experiences, but their maturity was very very small. You don't have to tell anybody how mature you are in the Lord. They'll know without you having to tell them. Mature people in the Lord, everybody else around them knows that they're mature. You never have to tell you tell them. In fact, the most of the mature, the maturest of the people People walking with the most authority often look the meekest and the humblest and the least presumptuous. And they tend to be the ones that are the giants in the faith. And this is exactly how Joseph was. He says, I can't do it. I'm not. I am not able to. But God will. God will give you the answer, Pharaoh. Now, now, see, this interesting thing about it is he still had to hear the dream and give the interpretation. And that's exactly what happened. He was given the dream. He told him the dream. The same thing. What was the difference? The difference here is his approach to this. He says, it's all God and it is none of me. He wanted Pharaoh to know exactly who this was coming from. And it wasn't Joseph. It was God himself. It was God himself. This was the process. Now Joseph would be ready. Because you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is he received. So he, he, seven, you know, he interpreted the dreams as you're going to have seven years of plenty. And then after following, there's going to be seven years of famine in the land. And the seven years of famine are going to be so bad, you'll have forgotten about. It'll just absolutely mean that the seven years of plenty meant nothing. Because they're going to be so bad. And so then, God so much prepared Joseph that he tells Pharaoh what you need to do. Not only did he have the interpretation of the dream, he now had the wisdom of knowing what to do about it. So he didn't just talk a good game. He could deliver on the, on the word. And he says, this is what you must do, Pharaoh. Appoint somebody, not appoint me. He said, appoint somebody over the land that gathers in these seven years, fills the storehouses, that you're going to and he gave him the mathematics of how he needs to do it. And he said, this is the process that you need to take it through. And then you, those seven years and everything that you take through will sustain you through the seven years of famine that are going to come. And, and Pharaoh says to him, where else, where else can I go to? Who else can I go to other than you? You have shown that you have the wisdom and the authority. And he, now, now, Joseph has real authority. He's given the second highest position in all of Egypt. 
The only person that didn't have to bow down to him was Pharaoh himself. Everybody else. Put a ring on his finger, all this stuff. He had real authority. But God gave him the real authority only after he was able to handle it. That is not something that a 17-year-old Joseph would have been able to handle. He would not have been ready to carry that kind of load. He, load. he would have had to go through 13 years, at least 13 years, of preparation to where he could handle the authority that God was going to place in him. Isn't that incredible? We need to think about that. We need to think about that in our lives. If we are ones that want to walk in God's authority, I am telling you, you're going to have to go through your 13 years. Figuratively saying. Right? For some of you, it will take a literal 13 years. Some of you, it will take uh, three years. Some of you, it will take almost an entire lifetime to do those things that God is calling you to. Because they're all different. And they all carry different weight. And they all carry um, a process that says, I have got, there's something in you that has to be removed and I'm not going to be able to do it overnight. It's going to take a long time to remove it. Or there's something in you that I want to place in you and I can't just give it to you quickly. It's going to take you a long time for me to place it in you. Right? So these are the things that God is doing. We've got to be patient in the process. We have to be diligent about doing excellent work all along the way. And God will bless us. And he'll use us for his glory. And he'll do all these wonderful things in our lives. And for his glory. So it's not like it's all going to be bad. Right? No. He was, he was receiving blessing as a slave. He was receiving blessing as someone that was imprisoned. There was lied upon and forgotten about. He was still being blessed in those things. We can have blessing even though that we're walking through a season of being imprisoned. We can be blessed in these things. Yes. Last week we talked about how this is like a never-ending process. Your yes. passage through Jericho and the emptying of yourself. Yeah. So then how do you know when your process ends and you're like doing what you have to do if even though you're getting the gifts from God, you still need to empty yourself? Well, as far as the emptying is concerned, that never ends. Okay? So you'll know you've arrived when you're dead. <laughs> okay? That's pretty simple. It, it's true. From the perspective of, we have to remember the fact that we were not made for this life, but we were made for eternity. This life is just, we're simply passing through, right? Well, we have the fullness of Christ in us and in, in, in our presence at the resurrection when we're in his physical presence, right? And that's really where time almost begins for us, if you can think of it that way. Um, but, but in this, so in this life, because we have a flesh, because we have our, the weakness of our humanity, 
we are always going to be going through a Jabbok type passageway where we have to continuously be emptying and it will never, ever, ever end. And again, what I said before, the most, the, the most mature Christians I've ever come across in my life are some of the most humble and the most God-glorifying people I've ever seen. They just know how to glorify God and not draw attention to themselves. They do it so naturally that you're like, I'm in the presence of someone holy. It makes you feel dirty almost. It's like, I am not you. I am not that. But I desire to be there. That's someone who has walked through an emptying process so long that it's just, it just, the godliness oozes out of them. Where you truly, they are truly a fragrance of Christ. When you're around them, you smell Jesus. It's just, you just get a sense of the holiness of Christ. Right? And that, that is something that I think is a true mark. It's the gifts of the full presence of the, of not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Those, the fruit of the Holy Spirit are just oozing out of them. Right? So that's that ongoing process that we always go through and it never, ever ends. Right? And it's a great question, by the way. But there's also going to be these way marks along the way where God is going to prepare us to do something uh, that has a very specific date and time to do it, right? And there's going to be a preparation. You know what I'm? You know what I'm saying? What I'm thinking is the best answer to your question. You'll know it after it happens. Mm, that's good. You're not going to know it while Joseph didn't know that he was being prepared to be the second in in the land. He didn't know that that's what it was. All he knew, as far as we know from what the Bible tells us, is that God gave him these crazy dreams about 13 years ago. So he, but he probably had no idea how it was going to play out. He had no idea that meant that he was going to be the second highest in all of Egypt and that there was going to be a famine in the land and his family would come down and receive salvation from him in the position that God put him in. And you know it rocked him. If you read the rest of the story, when he saw his brothers, he was an emotional wreck because he loved his brothers and he was hurt and there was all this emotion and all this came up. It said one time he couldn't even, he couldn't even compose himself so he ran out of the room and he, went and he cried and wept bitterly. I mean, this was, a, this was an emotional hard thing he's been through these past 13 years. He had no idea that this was what God was preparing for. You know, maybe by this point in time, he even forgot the dreams that he had 13 years ago. I don't know. Maybe he forgot. And it was only after all the events and finally when his brothers were bowing down before him, he goes, oh, that's what I meant. I had no idea. That's the best way I can answer. I think you know later. See, the thing is, is the... It's about the process of growing in him. It's not about the destination of what he has us to do. We've got to find the, the joy in the journey, not the destination. The ultimate just destination, being with him in eternity, yes. We should desire for that. There should be a longing in our heart, just like Paul said, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. I think we know it after it happens. If we're keeping our eyes on Jesus the way we should, we're not worried about 
that big thing that God's calling us to do. Because when we're so worried about that big thing that God is calling us to do, do you know where our focus is? It's on ourselves. I am going to accomplish this for God because God told me I was. Sure sign of immaturity. But when you just abandon yourself and say, I can't do anything but God can, that's my position no matter what happens. I might be sold into another slavery. I might go to another, another jail. But God is in control. You keep your focus there. You're going to expedite your growing process in Him so much. He's going to get you to that destination faster. But as long as you keep your focus and your attention on you and what you're going to do for God, that maturing process is going to take a lot longer. And you're going to have to go around the mountain a lot more times. If you want to speed up the process, submit. Submit to it. Just submit to Him. Yield to Him like Jacob had to yield when his, his hip was put out. But yet, He still hung on and said, I won't let you go until you bless me. One last thing I want to leave you with. Look at verse 14. It said then, ver these are the little lines in Scripture you got to learn to, to notice. Verse 14, when Pharaoh sent for Joseph, but then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. What's the next line? He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Yes. He changed. He knew he was stepping into something new. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew he was stepping in to a place of authority. And he looked the part. I'm going to clean myself. I am not going to go to Pharaoh and say, look at everything I've been through. No, he shaved. He put on his best clean clothes and he presented himself and he was ready to do what God wanted him to do. He didn't put his hand to the plow and look back. He didn't start doing and say and call his attention. Hey, look everybody what I've been through, but here I am now. Because that's still immature because you're still focusing on yourself. No, he shaved. He put on new clothes and he was ready. The past was behind. This was a new day. He knew something was going to happen. He was, he was now walking in a new authority he, because he had paid the price of maturity and growing. And he was ready. Amen. Amen. God wants us to get to a new place in him. We got to be willing to pay the price. Amen. Any other last minutes before we close out? Any other things that stood out? Are you challenged? Does it give us perspective? I hope. It's my desire.
embrace the pain. It's there for a reason. It's not sent to harm us. It's sent to mature us and grow us and get us ready. You know that. You've been through a lot of pain. But when you look back, you see what that has done in you mm-hmm. and who, who it's made you. Yeah. But just remember, he didn't do it just for you. He didn't make you into this today, the way you are today, for you, but for his plans and purposes, for you to accomplish. God's so cool, he doesn't waste a pain, a hurt, or a tear, ever. We shouldn't waste them either. Amen? Amen.